Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and we're thankful just to be able to gather with you here today. I'm thankful for your patience. I know things may have looked a little different as we started this morning, but I am glad that we can be together and we can sing and we can study God's Word. So even though things look a little different, God's good. Amen? Amen. All right, good. Okay. <laughs> hey, we, uh, we are finishing up our series called The Final Countdown, and if, if, uh, if this is one of your first times here, let me catch you up a little bit. We've been walking through what the Bible has to say about kind of the, the end of the world, not, not to scare anybody or freak anybody out, really, but to address the fact that whenever there is kind of an, uh, an upsurge in war in the world, especially things going on in the Middle East, we start asking questions. When things start happening with Israel, we start asking questions about, hey, what's going on? Because the Bible talks about wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of things happening at the end of the world. And so recognizing what's happening right now in the Middle East, we wanted to just take a couple weeks and stop and look at what does the Bible actually say about the end of the world. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about some of the things that, that have happened and need to happen before Jesus would come back. Today, we're going to talk about something a little different that I think is important for us to acknowledge and think about so that we are making sure we're all as ready as possible. Now, I want to start with something in, in my history, okay? Um, I was a child of the 80s and 90s. Any other cool kids here identify with me? Good. All right. Great. You guys are awesome. Um, so I was born in the, uh, in the early 80s, and I was really growing up and learning about life in the 90s. And I remember in the mid-90s, I got my first ever CD. Some of you don't know what those are. It's fine, I realize I'm a dinosaur, whatever. But I remember getting my first ever CDs. Can anybody guess what my first CD was? No, maybe that's a dangerous game. <laughs> Let me tell you what my, my first ever CD that, that I got was Chicago. Any of you guys like Chicago? Okay, yes, okay. That was my, it was Chicago Greatest Hits. I can't tell you how many thousands of times I've played that CD over and over. And then I remember a time when I got my first ever kind of like Christian CD. It was of a band named DC Talk. Anybody ever heard of DC Talk? Okay, the rest of you who are younger than us, you've heard of a guy named Toby Mack, probably, okay? Toby Mack used to be the lead singer for that. Toby Mack is like 60 years old now, I think, something like that, okay? And, and they put out a CD that was called Live from the Freak Show. What a great name for a Christian rock uh, a concert, right? It's, it's great. Um, but I remember the first time that I listened to that CD, there were a number of songs that stood out to me and, and really spoke into, into my life, but there were two in particular that made me stop, pause right where I was, and go and read something in my Bible, okay? Two songs. They had a song that was like a remake. It's not their song, but they had taken it. I don't even know who the original singer was, but one of the songs went like this. It's the end of the world as we know it. You ever heard that song? Okay. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I'm feeling fine. Okay. So they had that song on there, and they had all kinds of things, but then it went right into another song 
that said this, I wish we'd all been ready. And I remember hearing that and sitting in my room just like weeping. And I went to my Bible. It was a very profound moment for me. And I ended up reading this passage of Scripture that I want to read to you because it was a formational, it was a formational time in my life where I think God was doing something in my heart to give me a, a passion for other people to know Jesus. Because I read this. I don't read this to, to scare you, but I do read this so you know it's there. It's Revelation chapter 20. At the end of Revelation chapter 20, which is, you're almost to the end of the Bible. You're almost to the very end. There's only 22 chapters in Revelation. You're almost to the end where there's heaven and a new heaven and a new earth and, and, and all of that. And there'll be no more tears and no more crying and no more death and no more dying. But before all of that, you've got this passage. It says this, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. Remember the book of Revelation, is, it, it was... It was something given to John, visions given to this man named John, where God was revealing things to him. And here he is again revealing something to him. It says, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. That's a big statement. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Well, this is interesting. There's books, different books, books that seem to record everything that, that I've done or the dead and what they've done. And then there's another book called the Book of Life, and, and those are opened. Then it goes on. It says, the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. That does not sound good for me. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound good for me. All were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is a second death, and Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So there's different books. Books that record everything that we've done. And then there's a book called the book of life. And the one that is the trump card, so to speak, is whether or not your name is found written in the book of life. This book is referenced other places in Scripture. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's in reference to, to people whose names are found in that book simply because of Jesus and putting faith in Him. This passage causes me to go, hmm, people need to know about Jesus. And in order for you and I to be ready, I want to make sure that we know how to share our faith persuasively. We know how to share our faith in a way that's going to be helpful to the people who listen. If, if, and if you're new here and you're not even sure about Jesus, that, that is perfectly fine. I hope you'll listen along. I would tell you, you know, that a lot of today is designed to speak into the life of a person who's already a follower of Jesus, but... If you listen along, you'll get an inside view into 
kind of what, what we believe about God and Jesus. So what I want to do today is talk to you about how to share your faith persuasively. But here's the thing. This is not just a conversation about words or techniques. This is not just a conversation about how to approach somebody or how to be bold. This is actually about more than just how you share your faith, okay? This is about more than just how you share your faith. This is about how you live your life. This is about the life behind your witness. Do you understand me? Here's why that's such a big deal. Have you ever uh, had someone try to convince you of something and yet their life didn't match up to it? This is the guy, this is the guy sitting at the bar next to you trying to convince you to go to AA. Right? This is, this is the, the, the vegan trying to convince you that, the, you know, you need to do this, you need to get on this lifestyle with him, and then you just happen to see him walking into McDonald's, and you're like, bro, right? And often, if we aren't careful, that's what happens with our lives. If our lives aren't in line with Christ... It cuts the legs out from underneath our witness. And so today I want to walk you through a passage. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bible, that's where we're going to open, okay? I want to walk you through a passage that talks about what our lives should look like and also talks about what our witness should look like. We're going to start together today in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, okay? If you're following along on your, on your phone, um, you, can, you can see it there. I'll try to, we'll try to, I know things look a little different this morning, but we'll try to get the verses up here as well, okay? So let's start in verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you, but instead... Pay them back with a blessing. Now, all of this sounds really, really good until someone has punched you in the face, right? And, and Peter was writing to a group of people who lived in Asia Minor. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we, we studied the church at Laodicea, and we talked about some of the pressures that they felt. If you walked through some of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 in our study, you read and you heard about how all of these believers were facing suffering and persecution and difficulty in the midst of trying to live out their faith. And this, these are the churches that Peter is writing to, and he's saying, hey, while you're suffering, here's what you should do. Love each other. Love your boss who's a jerk? Yeah. Love your neighbor who just seems to love to let his dog poop all over your yard and doesn't clean it up but cleans his yard up pretty well? <laughs> yeah. Love each other. Be tender-hearted and have a humble attitude. That's what we're called to be and do. But that's not how the world is, is it? The world is like, hey, you mess around with me? Fine. Now you got to fight on your hands. We see, that, we see that in TV. We see that in media. We see that in every aspect of our lives. And we do not get to live that way, Christians. We don't get to live that way. 
Can I tell you where I struggle with this, honestly, the most? I struggle with it the most when, um, you know, with, with like customer service type people. Anybody ever struggled with them? I don't know why, but for some reason with like customer service and it just doesn't, it, like it's so simple in my head. You just need to push this button and do this one thing and, and, and it won't happen. And, and I find that I can very easily get upset. <laughs> how about you? And I often think about how this is what I'm called to be. And then in my head I can go, well, I'm never going to meet these people, so it's no big deal. Do you know what? It is a big deal. It is a big deal. We don't get to treat people like they're punching bags. We're to love one another and be tenderhearted and have a humble attitude and not repay evil and not retaliate. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. You mean when somebody insults you, you don't get to just send an insult back? You mean when somebody calls you a name, you don't just get to send a name back? Yeah. Yes. And where else is that going to come from if it doesn't start in our homes? in our marriages, in our workplaces. We're called to be different. See, we don't live like the world. That is not how we live because this is not our home. This world is not our home. We're called to live differently. Now, verse 10, he goes on. Here's what he says, for the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Here's the good news. That's super easy to control your, your tongue, right? Especially when you're mad. Do you know what this is? This is a quotation from Psalm 34, okay? Peter is quoting from the Old Testament and he's saying, hey, look, God's already told us this, but let me just kind of verify what I'm, I'm teaching you. I'm not teaching you something new. I'm teaching you something God's already taught us, okay? He said, this is how you enjoy life. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Then he goes on in verse 11, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Okay, now here's the thing. So far, you're probably going, what in the world does this have to do with sharing our faith? Now, we'll get there because one of the most well-known verses about sharing your faith shows up in this passage. But before Peter can ever talk to me about sharing my faith, he's got to talk to me about my life so that I don't mess up my witness and I change my attitude. See, here's the thing. Here's what I'm convinced of. The best approach to a hostile world, which, by the way, you and I live in, the best approach to a hostile world is a holy and humble life. That is it. The best approach that we could ever have is for us to live set-apart lives and to live humbly like, not as if everything revolves around me. And when I get up with customer service, when I get upset with customer service, it's because I'm thinking that everything should revolve around me. And I want people to serve me and do what I want. God calls me to something different. And you too. He calls us 
to a holy life, a set-apart life. That word holy, it's not just a religious word. It's just this idea of set-apart. It means it's different. We're other. We're different than the rest of the world, not because we're better, but because we have the best Savior, Jesus. And we're called to be humble. That's who we're called to be. Now, going on. Verse 13, in case they missed it, in case they don't, in case they, they get scared, you know, remember, they're living in a hostile territory, and, and in some ways, we have, we have hostility in our world against Christianity, okay? But in case they missed it, and they, they go through suffering, and, and they don't understand what's going on, he says this in verse 13, now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Generally speaking, when you treat people really, really well, they aren't going to. Come after. Now, there, there's times that you, you, you will, okay? So then he goes on in verse 14, and he says this, but even if you do suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So even if you do suffer, even if you do go through difficulty when you've done what's, what's right, God sees it. He will reward you for it. So what's the response? Here's what we're called to do. Not worry or be afraid. Boy, those are words that speak into my heart. When we start living different, and then we have questions, we go, well, what if? What if? What if? I start to worry. Is God going to take care of me? Is God going to help me keep my job? Is God going to fix this relationship? What if it never gets fixed? What do I, you know, all of that, right? He says, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Why? Because God sees you. God knows he's there. He's got you. Don't worry. Instead, here's what we're to do, verse 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. We must put Christ as the object of our affection. This is what I'm going for. I'm not going for man's approval. I'm not going for man's praise. I'm not going for any of that. I am going so that my life would worship Christ. And there are things in this world that we just do not understand. There are things that we just don't know why they're happening, why the difficulty, why the pain, why the cancer, why this or that, but God is not done. So we live to worship Him. And if someone asks you, about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Ah, there it is. You've probably, you may have heard this verse before. I remember growing up, we memorized, I mean, I, when, when I was a kid growing up in church, we, we memorized in the King James, and I don't know if I remember it exactly right, but always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, something like that. I, I learned that as a kid. That's this verse. So when somebody asks you, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared to explain why we have hope. Now here's the thing. The very next verse often gets forgotten. It gets skipped over. And it shouldn't because it's meant to control verse 15. Let me show you what it says in verse 16. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Uh-oh. Ever seen any Christians witnessing in a less than gentle and respectful way? <laughs> yeah. We are, we are called to this, to be gentle and to be respectful. 
Now, gentle means I'm probably not going to be yelling at you and demanding that you, you know, no. Listen, I, I can't make anybody trust Christ. That's not my job. My job is just to present the information. Respectful means I'm not going to tear down your belief systems. I'm going to be curious. I'm going to ask questions. I want to know why you believe what you do. Help me understand. That's great. Can I share with you just why I believe what I do? And you can do that in a gentle and respectful way. You see, (laughs) the best approach to our lives in a hostile world is a holy and humble approach, but when it comes to sharing your faith, here's what I want you to know. The best approach to sharing your faith involves gentleness and respect. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk you through just two steps that you're going to have to keep in mind when it comes to sharing your faith and living out your faith with gentleness and respect, okay? These are kind of just some applications, some pieces that we can, we can take away from this passage, okay? First of all, when you get hurt in this world, and you will, you may get hurt at, at your job, you may get hurt with a relationship, but when you get hurt, your response communicates what you really believe. Do we really believe that God is good? And that God is in control. Do we really believe? Do we really believe that what comes out of our mouths shows what's in our hearts? Right? Do we believe those things? When I get hurt, how I respond is a huge piece to my witness. It brings validity to my witness or it tarnishes it. Isn't that true? When you get hurt. So what, what do you do? Well, a couple of things. When you get hurt, don't be sour, but instead choose to be satisfied in Christ. Okay? That's, that's huge. When you get hurt, don't be sour. You got something wrong going on in a relationship or at work or at home or whatever it is. Don't be sour. You know, you know what I mean? It's like you ever had those uh, 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 sour patch kids and you kind of suck on them and your face is like... Yeah, we make that face sometimes, don't we? And there's no Sour Patch Kids. Because we're upset. You can trust God. You can lean in. I may not know what you're walking through right now, but I know that he does. And you can trust him. Don't be sour, but instead, be satisfied in Christ. Second, When you walk through difficulty, when you get hurt, don't be afraid, but instead, be assured of the future, okay? Be assured. You can know that he holds the future, okay? That's that's what Peter is telling them. You are living in a hostile territory. It is difficult, but he knows the future. The second second piece of, of, of application is this. If you have hope, we're called to give an explanation for it. Do you have hope for the future? If you don't, we'll talk about how you can here in just a minute. But if you have hope, if you know that because of Jesus, that there's a future for you, a good future for you, then you need to be ready to give an explanation for it. Look at what the text says. Verse, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us that, that we need to... Um, 
you know, be ready to explain our hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Then verse 16 says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Verse 17, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. So what what should we do? We need to be ready to give an explanation. So can I just give you some practical suggestions for sharing your faith, okay? That's, that's what I want to do here today, a couple of them. Okay, number one, um, you need to prioritize the relationship over being right. You and I need to prioritize our relationships with people who don't yet trust Christ over being right. Please. Do, do you know how often we... Um, we shut down a relationship because we act like, act like know-it-alls, you know? This is why around here we talk about praying, investing, and inviting. That investing piece is so important. Like investing in the relationship, spending time with people, caring for them, being, being their friend, actually, <laughs> even if they don't live life exactly like you. Prioritize the relationship. I know that within our, our, our community here, we, we have people who, who um, have spouses who don't yet believe. Prioritize that relationship. Serve them. Love them. Put, put them first. I'm telling you, the, there is no better uh, apologetic for your faith than your life. Prioritize the relationship. Second, share your story. You have a story. How did you come to know Christ? Share it. Talk about what God used. And some of you would say, well, mine's really boring. Yeah, I, mine's really pretty boring too. I mean, I grew up in a small town, went to a little Baptist church, and uh, I remember, you know, we'd come in the building, and when I, I always went right up the stairs to, to our Sunday school classroom, and, and we had, you know, this, what then, when I was a child, seemed like this huge classroom. Now I go in it, and I can barely fit in the room, but I, but I was there, and we sang songs, and my, my mom had been telling me about Jesus over and over, and I remember sitting in that classroom as my teacher was talking about the good news of Jesus, and I remember being fully convinced that if I didn't put my faith in Christ, that I, I knew where my life was headed. And I trusted Christ one Sunday. That, is, that, is that some radical, like, life story? You know, I didn't do all this before I came to know Christ. No, but I think Christ kept me from those things because I certainly would have been there because I'm no different than anybody else. Share your story. Third, memorize a simple explanation of the gospel. And that's, that's what I want to show you here right now, okay? And if you're taking notes, you, you want to grab on to something like this. This is an imperative piece uh, uh, for, for being ready to share the gospel. You know, it, it can be a little overwhelming to share the gospel, right? It can be a little scary. Anybody ever been, been scared of that before? I, I certainly have. Because you want to do it right, you want to do it well. I want to show you a way that you can use one verse to uh, 
demonstrate the gospel, and it's even something that you could write out on a napkin and show people, okay? I want to walk you through just one verse, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. What I like to do is I like to just take people through this verse. Um, if we can, yeah, you can bring it up there on the screen if you want, okay? So the Romans 6.23 tells us this. It says, for the, for the wages of sin is death. Well, see, the reality is that God created man to be in a, in a close relationship with him, but, but unfortunately something happened. What happened is sin. And the, the scripture tells us that we've earned something. This, this word wages, what is, a, what is a wage? Does anybody know? What's a wage? a wage? A wage is something you earn, right? You go to work, you do X amount of hours of work, you get paid X amount, right? So what, what the scripture is saying is this, that what we've earned through our what? Sin is death. Now, what is death? You say, well, that's a dumb question. We all know what death is. No, I, I mean it seriously. Death is the separation of the soul from something, right? Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. But that is not the only death that there is. There's spiritual death, or as we read earlier here in Revelation 20, this is the second death. It's the separation of the soul from its maker. It's the separation of the soul from God. Which death is, is the author, a guy named Paul, which death is he talking about here? I think he's actually talking about both. But here's what he's saying. He's saying that our wages, or what we've earned, through our sin is death. I know you love my handwriting. It's beautiful, isn't it? So now, because, because of our sin, there's this giant chasm between us and God. We've been separated from God, and, and there's no way to get across. People have tried all kinds of things. They've tried religion, okay? They've tried, they've tried you know, good works. People have tried all sorts of things to try to find a way to get back to God. And yet, right in front of us, what Paul says is this. He says, but the gift, it's, it's a what? It's a gift. The gift of God is what? Life. A gift is not something that you earn. A gift is freely given. When it's your birthday... Somebody gives you a gift. Why? Did you earn it? No. Well, you say, yeah, I did. I made it another year. No. No, they made it another year with you. Okay? <laughs> okay? It's a gift. It's freely given. The gift that comes not from us, not from good works, by the way. There is nothing in the Bible that says the way you get right with God is through good works. I want to be really, really clear. You may have questions about, well, why are the rules and regulations? Okay, that's fine. We could have that conversation. But the rules come after the relationship. It's different. Okay? The gift from God, not myself, not me, is life, eternal life. So here's what we have. Paul says there's a gift that comes from God, and it is life. Now, what kind of life? eternal. So what is he talking about here? Is he talking about physical death? Well, I would say yes, but he's also talking about spiritual death. Okay? Now, how in the world do we get that gift? 
Thankfully, the text tells us. It says it's through. This is a key word here. It's through Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, what God was doing, and this is a simple illustration. I didn't come up with this. Many of you have probably seen it a long time ago, but it's, it's an illustration called the bridge, and it's a way to demonstrate what Christ has done. In other words, what, what Paul is saying is that the only way that we can get right with God and be in a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. Now, there's a couple of things here. His name means the anointed one and Savior. And then he calls him our Lord. That's why around here we we talk about making Jesus the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. Okay? All of this raises the question, well, how, how how do I get that? This is where I I would personally, now you don't have to memorize this one, but I would personally go to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, which says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And then I like to ask people, Hey, where would you put yourself on this chart? I mean, where, where would you... Here, let's just walk through this on the screen here real quick. You know, it's the same kind of, kind, kind of thing. And if you're taking notes, you can write this all down and you can use it, okay? Um, yep, keep, we'll keep going. So here we see we have the gift from God is eternal life. And then what? Through Jesus Christ our Lord, which raises the question... Where would you put yourself on this diagram? I think it's a great way just to have a conversation. You can share with people, hey, this is, this is just what I believe. And it's, it's not my idea. It doesn't come from my brain. It's coming from something else. Coming from someone who knew firsthand witnesses of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. I want you to have a tool. If you have another way to do it, that's great. If you have your own way of sharing the gospel, that's great. This is just one way. I just want to make sure you have a way. Let me share with you one other way that you can be involved in giving an explanation of your hope. You can pray, invest, and invite while partnering with Bridgewater. You can do that with us. You can pray for your friends, you can invest in them, and you can bring them here to church. And they're going to hear the truth of God's word. You can ask questions, and God will use it. Now, let me leave you with this. When we opened, I read that passage in Revelation 20 to you. And I would guess that somebody came to your mind. Here's what I want to do. When we pray here in just a minute, I want to ask you, would you pray for that person? Would you pray for that person? And if it's, if it's you and you're wondering about yourself, I would tell you, you can talk to the Lord right here today. 
we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Turn to him. He will hear you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how much you love us. Thank you that, thank you that you've sent your son to make a way so that we can be right with you. God, I pray. I pray for the the people who are on my mind this morning, the people that you put in my life that you're giving me opportunities just to share the good news of Jesus with. God, I, I pray that we would be ready to share our faith persuasively with gentleness and respect, not attacking or tearing down or demeaning anybody else or berating anybody else into anything, but instead, lovingly, patiently sharing the hope that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name.